morning, everyone. It's good to be here together. Thanks, Joan and Sharon. Good job. That's one of the shorter readings we'll have, actually. Um, we'll have some longer ones later on, too, but uh, excellent. If you're here for the first time today, um, or you're visiting, great to have you here. Thanks for coming along. My name's Graham, the minister here, and we're working our way through Revelation. So last week, we looked at Revelation chapter 1, and so this, this, this first vision that, um, that John receives from Jesus. The next one comes up uh, at the start of chapter 4, verse 1, so we'll look at that next week. If you were away last week and you missed it, can I encourage you to um, listen to the sermon and, and, I guess, catch up? It was a bit of an introduction, and that'll really help. Uh, if, you are, if you're an iPhone person, um, you can get our podcast pretty easily on the podcast's little thingy bob here. So if you want to do that, come to me afterwards, I'll show you. It's pretty easy to do, and it goes up there very quickly on, our, on early in the week, um, but also goes up on our website as well. So, well, I want you to picture this scene. It's Sunday morning. You've got your church clothes on. Your hair's looking sharp. Your makeup is on point. Guys, you've shaved and had a shower. That's excellent. Um, you're wearing deodorant. That's very special too. Uh, you've managed a coffee and, and breakfast. You've had a nutritious, delicious kale and almond milk banana and protein powder smoothie. Uh, you walk into church. Your, your head is held high, chest out. You've got this. You've got this. Your smile is one of accomplishment. You work the room, make sure those who need to know know that you're here. And uh, later on, later on, after a good morning at church on arrival at home, it's been a good day, and you say to your, as you say to yourself, and then you, you catch a glimpse of yourself in the mirror in the entryway as you walk in, and, and there it is. <laughs> no, no, really? Oh. A large green piece of kale <laughs> from this morning's smoothie, possibly seen from outer space, uh, is there stuck between your teeth. And you ask yourself, how long has it been there for? Why didn't someone tell me? Has it been there since breakfast? Oh, the whole Sunday service, there it was. You were confident everything was just fine. Better than fine, instead there's this filthy stain. I wonder if that's what it means to be lukewarm when it comes to our trust and obedience with Jesus. I'll explain that later on, but I wonder if that's what it means to be lukewarm. Let's pray as we begin today and we look at these seven churches, um, the seven lampstands from chapter 1. Although our focus will be really Jesus' words to the church at Laodicea. I want to tell you now that, that um, I hope you don't regret coming. Uh, <laughs> but they're strong words of warning, these warnings to the church at Laodicea. They're strong words of discipline and they're, they're actually also words of forgiveness and love. They're wonderful words. Some of the most famous words of Jesus we'll come across this morning. So let me pray and then we'll try to work out what on earth it means to be lukewarm. Father, we, uh, we thank you for your goodness and kindness to us. We, we pray that you would help us, uh, Lord God, to listen to your words. Uh, not just to, to, to hear them, but to have them instilled in our hearts. We want to, Lord, put them into practice even. Help us today. Uh, fill us with your spirit as we, um, as we read and, and listen. And Lord, we want to trust you. 
I want to say that you are sovereign and over all things. Thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've got an, got an outline there, um, I'm, we might have had a printing uh, mishap this morning. So if someone, Michelle, is the outline, do you see an outline there? Okay, no worries. So the date of this morning's bulletin is wrong, but the, everything else is right. So it's just the date that got mixed up. So the outline's fine. You can follow along there. Chapter 2 and 3 in, Re- in Revelation uh, contain seven letters, uh, seven letters to the seven churches, these seven lampstands that Jesus stands amongst. It's a wonderful picture in chapter 1. So Jesus dictates a letter to each church, which John will then publish in his larger letter, the book of Revelation. So seven letters, but each is a part of a larger letter, which John is distributing to the churches via these messengers. Which means the message given to each church is also read by the other churches. And these are very real letters to very real churches with very real struggles. But they are also general letters to Christians everywhere across these seven churches, think modern-day Turkey. So it's why Jesus closes each letter with, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Jesus speaks to us today. He speaks to you and I today. Now, will you listen? Are you ready to listen to Jesus, the words of Jesus today? There's something else you might have picked up as, as um, uh, Sharon and, and uh, Joan read through chapters 2 and 3, these seven letters, is that there's a, there's a structure, isn't there? There's a, a pattern to the letters, a formula Jesus sticks to. So, uh, well, one, the letter is directed to the angel. Now, the angel, remember, angel just means messenger. And gelos in the Greek just means messenger. So this messenger is probably the church leader who would then go and read this letter aloud to their church. And of course, they wouldn't just read their little bit. They'd read chapters 1 through to, through to the end. Second part of this pattern is the words. The words which follow come from Jesus Christ, who is described each time in terms of the first vision Uh, which John had on Patmos back in Revelation chapter 1, 12 to 16. It's a lovely pattern. Here are the descriptions that that Jesus takes up that we've already heard in chapter 1. Next, Jesus praises the good in each church, although not in Laodicea. I know your deeds, he says. Fourth, uh, but in the case of um, the five out of seven, he has something against them. So he rebukes the churches. So Smyrna and Philadelphia, well, they're not rebuked. Five, there's a call to repent and turn back to God. And also to hear. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And finally, sixth, I guess, part of this pattern of Jesus' letters is that he encourages them. He gives them a promise. He who overcomes, he says. So this is usually followed by an... Big word, eschatological promise of, of chapter from chapters one, 21 and 22. Eschatology just means the study of the end times. Heaven, when Jesus will come back, all that sort of thing. That's, that's what we call eschatology. So these eschatological promises we read again in chapters 21 to 22. So they're great promises to the, for the churches to hear. 
they look, they take these, Jesus takes them and says, look towards the end. Look where I'm taking you. That's an eschatological promise. Okay? A good example, if you've got a Bible there, I hope you do. Um, chapter 2, have a look at chapter 2, verse 26. 2 verse 26, uh, to the church at Thyatira. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority to the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. It's a quote from Psalm 2 as well. But that gets picked up again if you look over in chapter 19, verse 15, right at the end of Revelation, this, this uh, promise of God, 19, verse 15, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, it's Jesus, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. So that's pretty typical of the pattern that Jesus um, uh, uses at this last little part of each letter. He points them towards where he's taking them. And, uh, and there's a, no a number of examples there. You can do it at home if you want to. Pick them up at the end of Revelation as well. Okay. So if there's a... I guess Jesus is reinforcing the comfort of knowing and trusting him with our future, isn't he? And that's part of a big theme of this book of Revelation, answers to the future lie in the past. In fact, if there's a theme to these letters in 2 and 3, chapters 2 and 3, it is that God is in control and that the churches need to remember that. They must not be deceived into thinking that, that this world is all there is, that Jesus will not return as judge and king, that God does not have power. Don't let the troubles that come upon us in this evil age deceive you into thinking that God is not in control. He is, and we know he is, because he's overcome. He's the one who has overcome. He's the one who's alive today. He's conquered sin and death. He's defeated sin and death. Well, now, that's a bit of an overview of chapters 2 and 3 of these seven letters. Let's now jump to chapter 3, verse 14, to the church at Laodicea. Now, Laodicea, hope you like maps, Laodicea is, you can just point it out, I've got a little laser here, doesn't do much good for the recording, but it's about this, this area. Uh, Laodicea, so south, sort of southeast of um, modern day Turkey, that's that part of Asia it's called back then. Laodicea, it's about 160 kilometres east of Ephesus and wonderful uh, ruins you can go and see there, great archaeological sites throughout these churches today. The city is located in, a fertile, in the fertile Lycus Valley where the Meander River joins the Lycus River, one of its tributaries. The city also lay at the junction, you can sort of see it on the map, this junction of the great north-south road linking Pergamon in the, in the west there, northwest, to Atalia, which is actually off the map, which is southwest, uh, southwest Turkey, or southeast modern Turkey. It's down, down here somewhere. Uh, now that north-south road in, is linked up with the east-west road at Laodicea. Now why am I telling you this? Uh, well, Laodicea's location close to these rivers and roads meant that this city was a major city in Asia and uh, a great commercial centre by world standards. Laodicea was also close to two other cities, Hierapolis, you can see it there on the map, and Colossae, you might have heard of Colossae, Colossians was written to the church at Colossae. Now we know that Christianity came to these three towns 
uh, in the region more than 40 years earlier through a guy called Epaphras, uh, a Colossi local. Now, Epaphras was a gospel worker with Paul in Ephesus in the mid-50s. It's interesting that Christ identified himself in verse 14 of uh, his letter to Laodicea uh, as the ruler of creation. Now, Paul uses similar phrases in Colossians chapter 1. So Paul's teaching appears to have been known to John despite his isolation on Patmos. Now, unlike a number of other churches, Laodicea does not appear to have been troubled by any external pressure from that emperor cult worship that we talked about last week, or in fact any false teachers infiltrating the church. That was a problem with many of the other churches. I guess you could say that Laodicea uh, was having an easier ride when it came to, to life and was pretty comfortable uh, compared to, say, Pergamon, a Pergamon you might have picked up, Jesus calls Pergamon, where Satan has his throne. <laughs> uh, pretty strong words there. The problem in Laodicea was that the quality of church life did not match the church's own high opinion of itself. They were lukewarm, Jesus says. So let's read these words again uh, to this church. We'll read from verses 14 to 18. So Revelation 3, 14 to 18. To the church of Laodicea, uh, to, sorry, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of your mouth, my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can wear, cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Now, when I, when I spent a few minutes here, most of, it, most of our time was spent on my first little point. You can see it on your outline there. But we'll break up this, um, this short little letter, powerful letter, to the church at Laodicea using three truths about following Jesus. You can't fool God. Forgiveness is free. We have a future. So let's think about that first point. You can't fool God. When it came to their trust and obedience with Jesus, the church at Laodicea was mediocre, fence-sitting when it came to their obedience, lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. And in Jesus' words, our lukewarm response to him and the gospel is vomit-inducing. He's about to spit them out of his mouth. So they need to change. They need to redirect. They need to come back to him. It's a graphic picture, isn't it? Uh, and, but it's one the Laodiceans, I think, would have known quite well. Because um, just near the town was a series of hot springs, uh, volcanic hot springs. And, of course, volcanic hot springs, they look nice in the pictures, but they smell awful. They usually smell of sulphur, that sort of rotten egg sort of gas. These hot springs were filled with minerals and so on. You didn't go swimming in them. You didn't go near. And if you did, what would you do? Well, you'd probably vomit. You'd spit it out of your mouth. So these words of Jesus would have rung true. Uh, this was a seismically active region. And, and, and Laodicea too would have, uh, would have suffered, had suffered damage from earthquakes over the years as well. 
One particular earthquake in AD 60 hit Laodicea very hard. Now it also hit Philadelphia and Sardis. But Philadelphia, well they went and asked the Roman government for some help. And the Roman government gave assistance packages and so forth. But what did Laodicea do? Uh, we can do it on our own. We don't need your help, Laodicea, Laodicea says to the Roman government. See, they were a proud people. They, were, they would rebuild themselves. We don't need you up there. It seems that something of that Laodicean pride in achievement appears to have blinded the perceptions of the church about their own lukewarmness. And Jesus has a word, a strong word to say about that pride. Look at verse 17. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. I don't need your help, God. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. See, in confidence in themselves, in their pride, they were blinded to their sinfulness and what they really needed. They were complacent. They were smug. We're, we're good just the way we are, thanks. We don't need God. We don't need you, Jesus. We don't need any help. We're going well. I've got this. As we walk into church, they thought they could fool God, but Jesus knows their deeds. Jesus knows their deeds. So how do I know whether I'm lukewarm before God? How do I know when I, whether I'm lukewarm with God and my trust and obedience with him? It's an important question, isn't it? What does that mean? Well, at the heart of it, Jesus says that it's an overconfidence to these Laodiceans. It's a failure to recognise their sin and their need for Jesus. It's being lukewarm with God. Now, perhaps that works itself out in a number of ways. Perhaps you can think of some now as I'm, as I'm talking. Uh, I came up with three. If you can think of some more, uh, why not share them with a friend over coffee at morning tea? Here, here's, here's three symptoms of being lukewarm with God. Again, these are hard words. And to be honest, I, I, I wrestled with them all week in my own personal life. See, I, I think there's one here. You leave God out of your decisions. Now, I don't mean trivial decisions about whether I should wear a checkered shirt or a plain one. Uh, no, no, if we really believe Jesus is who he said he is, and if we trust his word, and his word would, as Psalm 119 says, guide our feet. It's a, it's a lamp, a light to our path. If we really believe who Jesus said he is, and we trust his word, then we believe his word and live with his word as a guide to our path. God and his word must shape our thinking and our decision making. So is church a priority? It's a decision we need to make. Uh, am I generous with my giving? Should I click on that pawn? Am I being honest with my taxes? I, um, I, uh, during the week, about oh, well, a week ago actually, I, I sold one of my cars. Now, I've, I've, um, uh, this particular car I really liked. It's not a very expensive car, it's a cheap car, but it goes, it would, it's gone now. This is a bit sad. I'm, I'm going to share it with you anyway. Um, I'll tell you why in a second. But it, it was a Ford XR8, and it sounded really nice. It was really fun to drive, and I liked it. Um, in replacement to it, because its petrol was getting so expensive driving it everywhere, um, I, I bought a Yaris. It's a 1.5 litre. 
and I'm embarrassed really by it. It's not me at all, but for the sake of the petrol budget and the family, it's a whole lot better, let me tell you. Now, when I was selling the XR8 to this, this gentleman down the coast somewhere, uh, as you do, when you buy something, you have to pay a stamp duty for it. So if you buy a car, you buy a stamp, you, you, it's a tax. And you buy a house, you, you've got to pay your stamp duty. It's pretty small. When you're talking a few thousand dollars, it's not a lot of money, but that's not the point anyway. Um, but this particular gentleman, he, he said to me, can we write a different amount on the registration papers? So instead of making it 5,000, or a bit over that, it's 5, 7, uh, can we make it about 2? In other words, he wanted to cheat on his taxes. He wanted to be dishonest. And he asked me, and, well, I said no. <laughs> and he didn't really like that very much. Um, there was a bit of this awkward, you know, silence, and I just, no, I'm not going to do that, sorry. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, and I, I'm not going to cheat on my taxes. I'm not going to do that. Uh, and there are ways to do it, aren't there? You can do, I could have got away that no one would have known. He would have known, that's for sure. But no one else would have known. But I'm not going to do that. And that's just a, in some ways, that was an easy decision. I, wouldn't, I didn't even contemplate it, really. Um, but we have other big decisions, aren't we, that it's very easy to leave God out of the picture. If your pattern is to leave God out of your decisions, then there's every chance you're lukewarm. And you've got to come back to him. Living where we live is pretty comfortable, let's be honest. And it's not too hard to make decisions that result in comfort and even increasing in our comfort. Now, there's nothing particularly wrong with comfort and, and wealth. But do you know where the church is growing fastest in the world? It's where following Jesus is not comfortable. <laughs> church is experiencing what many of these churches in Revelation 2 and 3 are experiencing. It's where you... If you allow God to direct your decisions, there may well be dire consequences. That's where the church is growing fastest. So a follower of Jesus will ensure that it's words of it's it's wor the words of Jesus. It's the words of Jesus that are directing decisions and not comfort. How about another symptom of lukewarmness? Uh, those who know you don't take your trust in Jesus seriously. Now, they don't think it means much to you, that it's real. The main reason being, perhaps, is because your actions don't match your words. And, friends, um, and your friends will notice, won't they? They notice. And they question why on earth they should take God seriously if you don't. In fact, why should God take your trust in Jesus seriously if you don't? Now, friends, I... I don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. He's not ashamed of you. Stand strong for him. Don't be afraid. For the promise of Jesus is that he, as he says, in, as just before he ascended into heaven, he's with us always to the very end of the age. How about we look at one final symptom of this lukewarmness that I came up with. You might come up with some other ones. You want to know how far... You can push the limit with God. You know, it starts with a smile. Eyes meeting up. And there's a thought. And there's a what if. There's an excuse. Uh, a coffee. That'd be all right. Working late. Oh, it's just a bit of fun to flirt, you know. It's just a bit of fun. 
won't go any further. So being lukewarm means being lukewarm with God means that you're you're asking how far can I go before tipping over the edge? How far can I get from God and still be okay with him? What can I get away with? That's what someone who's lukewarm, I think, asks. But of course, that's not the right question, is it? The better question is, how closer can I be with God? Or how can I serve this person more? How can I help this person be closer with God and grow in their trust in Jesus? If you find yourself pushing the limits with sin, you're probably lukewarm. You've got to come back to Jesus. And Jesus says that if we're lukewarm, it's vomit-inducing. It's a strong warning. He, he's about to spit you out of his mouth. If you don't turn back, come to him. So what next? <laughs> what next? It's pretty hard, isn't it? What next? You know, you might be saying, okay, you've got me, Jesus. I'm there. You got me. You're speaking to me right now. Oh, yep, I've been lukewarm. And I don't really want to be lukewarm. Is there any forgiveness? Is there any chance of a new start? Well, let's keep reading because, yes, there is. And we'll come across these most beautiful, gracious words of Jesus. There is second chances. There is love. There is forgiveness in Jesus because that's why he died. Remember, the answers to the future lie in the past. Revelation points to the cross every time. Because Jesus has died, has conquered sin and death by dying and rising for us, Jesus can make this generous offer, we read in verse 18. So cast your minds back there. that The church at Laodicea is called on to receive from Christ, not from themselves, receive from Christ, because forgiveness is a free gift, gold, white clothes, eye salve. Now what's he talking about there? Now Laodicea was a significant banking centre. And we talked about it being the crossroads of major arteries and rivers and roads and so on. And it was also a notable producer of beautiful white woolen cloth. And its remedial locally produced eye ointment was apparently the best going around. That's what Laodicea was known for. So these words touched and challenged this church. In the living Jesus, Jesus says there is real riches, not gold. There's real forgiveness. You're washed white as this woolen cloth that you produce locally. Uh, there's wisdom. Remember the eyes? Wisdom to help us follow him. You see, Jesus rebukes those he loves, he says in verse 18. He's like a good father, Good mother, he disciplines those he loves. And he loves the Laodiceans. And friends, he loves you too. He loves me. And so we come across these beautiful and gracious words of Jesus in verse 19. So be earnest. He says, be honest and repent. Come back. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. They're wonderful words, aren't they? Wonderful words. Jesus will give this church, and indeed to all others that ask, what it cannot give to itself, and that is faithfulness and love. Verse 20 is God's grace in all its beauty, mercy and power. Friends, there's no, there's no stranger 
standing and knocking at the door. It's not a stranger. It's Jesus. Jesus who's, who knows your deeds, yet he's still there knocking. He still stands and knocks. It's Jesus who died, giving his life upon the cross. While we were still sinners, Jesus knocking, inviting us to come back, inviting the lukewarm to come and repent and receive forgiveness. What's the remedy for lukewarmness? Well, answer the door and invite Jesus in. Truly, wholeheartedly, eat with him, he says. Truly, wholehearted, trust in Jesus. Be earnest and repent. Receive real riches, forgiveness, washed clean, made right with God, white clothes to wear, eyes that see the goodness and love of God. And the promise, and like the promises to all the churches, he promises a sure and certain future because in victory Jesus rose. Look at verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcome and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. How'd you go? Do you listen? Did you listen to Jesus' words today? I hope you did. Uh, I certainly did through the week. <laughs> and did now as well, I hope. I want to I play you a song. Um, the song picks up a few of the themes of what we've been talking about today. But it's a great song just to listen. You, the words are up on the screen. They're very simple and you can hear them very clearly. So you might want to treat it as a prayer. A bit of a restart with God. A bit of a time to say, God, I'm sorry I have been lukewarm. I haven't been putting you as part of my decisions. I've been stretching, pushing the limits a bit with sin. But it's also a prayer of thanks, this song. Uh, it's a prayer of repentance and saying sorry and inviting Jesus back in. Uh, let, him in let him rule your life just as he does in heaven. So we're going to listen to a song and then um, we're going to we're going to sing a song together, a song which is a song about repentance and a new start with God. Um, we won't do a question and answer time today. It uh, just doesn't really fit what we're doing now. So come and ask me if you've got any questions. Use the, Q use the question box thing, um, the comment cards. Thanks, Rod. can I give to you? What can I offer to the King for all the love you've shown? For all your mercy over me? I called your name, you heard my cry out of the grave and into life my heart is yours my soul is free thank you God for saving me thank you God for saving me The rock of salvation My hope is built on nothing less Morning by morning How great is
your faithfulness I called your name You heard my cry Out of the grave And into life My heart is yours My soul is free Thank you God for saving me Thank you God for saving me Thank you God for saving me Jesus, we thank you that you stand at the door and knock. We pray, Lord, that we would invite you in. Lord, we're sorry that we don't always get things right. We're sorry that at times we're lukewarm. But Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness that we have in you. We thank you for your goodness and kindness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.